welcome back to the Adam B and Adam G MBA podcast. Speaking to you Sunday Australia time, Saturday night Utah time. And Utah is where Adam G is speaking to us from. It sounds like he's by a lake in the middle of nowhere and extraordinarily cold. Is that true, Adam G? Uh, that might be true, Adam B. Don't want to show any weaknesses, but I am multi-layered, multi-socked. Um, hand warmers in the pockets. Yeah, I heard rumors very about the cold. hand warmers. Yeah, they actually work. Uh, very cold temperatures out here in Utah, uh, home of Donovan Mitchell and the once- uh, not injured Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, you're really in a and Joe Ingles. History. And Joe Ingles. Yeah. And Ozzy making some coin and heading some shots. Yeah. Can I ask one question, though? Yeah. Why, why are Americans so nice to Australians? Mm. And why are Americans so mean to Americans? Mm. And then vice versa, why are Australians so nice to Americans and mean to each other? Well, I think Americans like us because of the, the Paul Hogan shrimp and the Barbie shit. And I think they yeah, think true. that all Australian women are like gorgeous bikini models and all Australian men are like going to shout them beers and have a laugh. That could be true, yeah. Because they are just very nice here. From the 2,000 miles that uh, we've driven so far, uh, everyone is really, really nice. Well... That's good to hear. And speaking of nice people, I want to give a really quick semi-selfish shout-out to one of our listeners, uh, Adam G. Get this. I, I, this week I learned about one of our listeners who's been trying to keep her fandom on the down low. She's not uh, screaming it from the roofs. But I'd like to give a shout-out to Emma Bops, who apparently uses our podcast as something of a sleeping aid. Catching up on her NBA ah. news as she falls asleep. Uh, Emma, MB, your voice sounds like warm butter. Warm butter. I'll take that, mate. I'll take that. Devondale butter too. So, Emma, yep. keep on listening. We hope we put you to sleep not too quickly, but, you know, pleasantly. Yeah. As long as she gets through this opening, then uh, we're all good. I think she might be struggling at this point, but... Shout out, Emma Bobs. Adam G, let's dive into some NBA news because there's actually a lot going on. We're 25-ish games through the season, um, over a quarter of the way. Really, really exciting. Things are starting to take shape. Teens are starting to take shape. And a couple of, a couple of superstars are really starting to, to be who they are. Uh, so Steph Curry um, has tweaked and hurt his ankle. Looks like it'll only be a couple of weeks till he's back, but it took like zero time whatsoever for KD to assert himself on that team, dropping triple doubles, just looking like a god on both ends. And his little run has coincided with LeBron pulling his finger out of his bum and saying, let's go on a 13-game win streak that will eventually be ended by the Pacers. But let's go on a 13-game win streak. Let me be a hero. Um, let's get the press off our backs and Adam B and Adam G off our backs for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, Adam G, those two guys look unbelievable right now. Yeah, and you're, for and you're forgetting the third one of the big three in that little uh, unbelievable bracket, and that's Boogie. Right, who's playing without his other twin tower, Anthony Davis. And he's dominating games. Now, I get that they are not, you know, scaling the heights of 
or we'd hope they are at 500. They're 13 and 13. But individually, with nothing around him, he is dominating. We don't. I think we uh, fail to appreciate big points and rebounds numbers as much as we appreciate triple doubles at the moment. Yeah, Whereas, triple doubles have cheapened a little bit, right? They're yeah, way and, more common. And we're not in. Yeah, we're not in the league anymore where if you score 100 points, you win. This is yeah. a league where you score 120 and you win. Yeah. There are more possessions. There are more chances for stats. So to get 10 rebounds in a game with 100 possessions sometimes isn't that a greater stat. No. Or to get 10 assists when the shooting numbers are so much better these days. And there's so many possessions in a game. Exactly. Whereas Boogie put up, what, a 40 and 22 recently? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of cool That's to effort. see. Him, it's it's kind of cool to see him like a little bit lone again. Um, he and Anthony Davis have obviously obviously spent most of the season working each other out after that late season trade last season, and seeing him kind of take ownership of the team a little bit. And um, I'm quite enjoying Rajon Rondo as well. It, yeah. It's kind of cool. Like I would love to see them in the playoffs not matched up against like Houston or Golden State and see them maybe compete for a first round win. That'd be really fun. Yeah, look, and look, they are the epitome of a 500 team right now, going five and five over the last 10 and 13 and 13 on the season. And yes, they have helped come back in Anthony Davis and it doesn't necessarily mean more wins directly, but they're in with a shot. They, the Western Conference only looks like it has nine teams who give a shit about making the playoffs at the moment. Mm. So as long as they can stay around 500, I think they're worth a chance to get in. And for a guy like Boogie, who looks like he's... And we talked about his defensive measures and defensive ratings that on the last show, that somehow he's actually quite high in a lot of those defensive or advanced stats you know, on those defensive numbers. Yeah. It'd be nice for them to make the playoffs. Um, they're the going to come up against you know to have the, them in it. Yeah, and to reward a guy who's balling out all season. And look, they're probably going to fuck him over and trade him anyway. But <laughs> at least, like for the moment, if we can, if he can get some recognition with a, a playoff run and maybe an, a second team All NBA or first team All NBA, that'd be cool. Yeah, agreed wholeheartedly. Let's pivot. the other two are better. Well, yes. I Sorry, like I know I added Boogie into that, but yeah. I mean, Jesus, Le- LeBron and KD. Uh, it, this is back to the OKC and Miami days. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're kind of like doing what they what they want out there, and it's of course incredible to watch. And yeah. this Curry injury is, I think, fun. Obviously not fun for him, but really intriguing for that team and to see who steps up and to see where the points and assists and playmaking comes from uh, and yeah. kind of gives them maybe the adversity that Steve Kerr had been wishing for. He's talked a lot this season about the drop-off that happens after a championship season. After all the sustained success they've had, he's like, I was fully expecting us to be average at the start of this season. It's really hard to keep motivation up after multiple championships and record-breaking seasons and so on. So a little bit of yeah. adversity goes a long way, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, kudos to that big three, that that uh, Boogie, KD, LeBron, for all ball out. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hats off to you guys. They are bowling out. Um, something far less surprising um, is that the Spurs are just kind of being the Spurs, being really, really underrated, forgotten about, consistent, just getting wins, having previously shocking players contributing meaningful minutes. Rudy Gay is good and useful. LaMarcus Aldridge has finally turned into who he should have been when they first traded for him. And yep. they look great. They've got a really good defense. Um, they have the best defense in the league. Have they overtaken on, the Celtics? Well, they're close to the Celtics in terms of uh, statistical measures. Um, and the Celtics are aggressing a little bit, but... The Spurs defense is the best because you add the best defensive player in the league back to their team. Next week. Yeah. They don't add just a wing. They don't add a scorer necessarily only. They add the best defender in the league. So let's watch this defense just put up the kind of ridiculous numbers that it did back in its championship uh, sort of days of 13-14. Yeah, like... Really, really well done, and I'm excited for Kawhi to get integrated back into that offense. And it's really crazy to think they lost a few, a few sneaky important pieces in the off season. Um, yeah. Depending on how much you value Simmons and his young development, but a lot. It's it's classic pop, isn't it, Adam G? It is classic pop coming out, classic getting it done. Pop. Yeah. And the and all he's done differently this year. He's grown a beard before, so let's not count that. No, All he's no. done differently this year is he's thought, you know what, I'm going to get ejected a couple of times. Yeah. I'm going to just, yeah. you know, just have some fun this year, have a little bit more of a chat to the refs and get ejected a couple of times because why not? Because why the fuck not? But he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, look, he's amazing. That organization is amazing. And what they're doing with a roster that is not that talented, I mean, Pau Gasol is still playing somewhat meaningful minutes for them. Mm-hmm. And he was washed up three years ago in the Bulls compared to now. Uh, they are just the absolute ideal for any coach or any organization that wants to know how do we create a team or an organization that runs that well and gets the best out of every single member. And they've done it year after year, and it's amazing to watch. It's an incredible machine they've built because you can feed any old idiot into it and he looks like a star. He looks like yeah. an all-NBA player. And I'm specifically talking about Rudy Gay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Chris Paul is back on the Rockets, uh, looking a little bit less fat and we're going to be a little bit less mean about him because they're on an eight-game win streak since he's returned. And I think he's, he's averaging 10 assists in about... Uh, you know, 28, 29 minutes a game since he's back. They look really, really good. And you want to talk about superstars hitting their stride. Harden is doing Harden things. Um, again, with this team, unlike the Spurs, the big question mark for me remains the playoffs. Um, can they win a meaningful series? Can they get to a Western Conference Finals? That remains to be seen. But super encouraging for them is that Harden is playing at an incredibly high level, uh, unlike the bloke he lost the MVP race to last year. And really mm-hmm. importantly, they've managed to work this piece, this crucial, confusing piece, Chris Paul, into the lineups, and they look really, really strong. 
Yeah, and I hope um, I hope this leads to a sneaky, or not sneaky, but a very quietly good MVP season for Harden as a reward, and a, maybe a Coach of the Year for Mike D'Antoni, um, and hopefully a deep playoff run where they can be tested out, and maybe we can see if that second star in Chris Paul can actually add something to James Harden down the stretch in the playoffs where when it gets into the game five, game six, game seven of a playoff series, that James Harden isn't knackered and he's not done. Yeah. And um, so that's uh, the, the knock on Harden is that he is the kind of guy that can drop his head in a playoff series. He's the kind of guy that can get gassed and then let it negatively influence his teammates. Um, yeah, absolutely. And What's Chris fucking Paul known for? Chris Paul is known for better or worse for berating his teammates and holding his teammates to an incredibly high standard. And maybe at the end of an 82-game regular season, Chris Paul feels like he's got enough of a voice in that locker room to call people out and say, hey, we're not going to lose this playoff series because we're running out of gas, running out of motivation, running out of grit. I don't think he would let that happen, right? No, and you didn't want to lose that with uh, Pat Beverly as they lost. But the hope is that you retain that grit when it come playoff time with Chris Paul. And then you add just that killer hesitation, step back, mid-range sort of elbow jumper from the right elbow that Chris Paul loves. And you hope that he brings that in clutch moments for the mm. Rockets. And, and if Harden can just take a couple of possessions off in that case, then... You, you would assume that that's a better team than last year. Yeah, like I'm not as high on Houston as some people are. I, I think the question marks around the leadership of James Harden, like I just can't forget what happened in the playoffs last year. Like they lost to a Kawhi-less Spurs. And okay, so where would you put them in regards to the Warriors and Spurs? Those three are the three strongest teams in the West, where would you put them in comparison with those two? I think in the regular season, that's more of a free-for-all. I think those teams could finish in any order and I wouldn't be particularly surprised. But in a playoff series, I would put Houston last because they just seem like the the gel that holds the team together, the team chemistry, just, I mean, this is like amateur and the armchair response, but watching their team chemistry, it is it seems more reliant on people hitting their shots and everyone being happy that they've got their shots more so than, yeah, fuck yeah, we nailed the game plan again today. Everyone did what they needed to do and we won and we're consistent and that's what matters. So that the, that's the question mark around them for me. Can he step up? Can they be disciplined? Can they be consistent under adversity in a seven-game playoff series? I haven't seen it in the past few years. And I'm excited to see what happens with Chris Paul in that mix. Yeah, me too. Adam G, do you know who's leading the NBA in three-point percentage? It should be Kyle Korver, but I'm going to assume that given you asked me a question, that it's going to be a different answer than anyone I love or any usual suspect. That's right. uh, let's he's, he's hitting go 52%. with. He's hitting 52% of his three pointers, if that helps. Well, that could help. Uh, actually, let's go with. Let's go with. Is LeBron close to that? LeBron's three point shooting clip 
has gone up this season. Is he having a surprisingly high three-point? It's improved yeah. this He's season. He's hitting more this season. He's hitting more this season. He's taking more this season, but it's not LeBron. He's 19 years old. going to have to answer old. this question for me. He's 19 years old. Wow. You really are going to have to answer this question for me. A 19-year-old is leading the NBA in three-point percentage. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's Jason Tatum. No. Yeah. And Your boy. Yes, it is. How many, yeah, but how many is he taking per game? All right. Let me pull this up and get it absolutely. And I'm and I'm while you're getting up that side, I'm going to say this at the same time that I praised the Tatum and Jalen Brown pairing only about a month ago. So I do like them, but his shot's not that sweet. It has been especially sweet the past few weeks, and I understand your questioning of it. Look, so he's he's attempting three three pointers a game and hitting them at a fifty two percent clip. Um, okay. He could take more, but he just in the Brad Stevens Good. offense, he just he gets his looks every game, and he knows where they are. He knows his spots, and he takes them in a very mature way. Um, I feel incredibly bad for him that again, this is Ben Simmons's <laughs> rookie year because oh yeah, he's like he's, he's the white LeBron. <laughs> yeah, white right, uh, white LeBron, but. Tatum's just been super mature and stepped into the starting lineup and he's, you know, he's scoring 14 points a game, just looking mature out there, not overshooting the ball, not trying to do too much, basically avoiding every mistake yeah. that rookies be- traditionally make. Yeah, I know. I, th- I would just be careful with um, players like Tatum as a third or fourth or fifth choice option in a team like the Celtics because he is getting looks that other coaches cannot get for their players because they aren't as good as Brad Stevens. Right, he's been putting in a position to succeed. Exactly, and that is good coaching, and that is a similar aspect to what's happening in the West where Pop is helping average players become good or bad players become mediocre. Um, And sometimes you have to be careful because most coaches are absolute fucking trash, Mm. even in the NBA, even at the pro level. And the fact that he's doing so well in the Celtic system, I would put a lot more credit on Brad Stevens putting him in the right positions to succeed, as well as him then being able to take on coaching, do his job, be in the right position, and then finally knock down that shot. Yeah, and that's not to be underrated. And coaching has come uh, under the microscope a little bit again this week. Um, And I'm not sure if you caught it on the ringer, but... Um, uh, they were recording their NBA show and they were kind of went on this huge rant about how um, Minnesota is broken and it's Tibbs' fault and that he's so confusingly, so stubbornly still doing the classic Tibbs thing of Mm. overplaying his stars and demanding so much from the minutes-wise and kind of pissing off guys on the end of the bench who aren't... Um, you know, who aren't getting rotations that they've earned or they deserve. Um, if you look at the players who have played the most minutes in the NBA this season, three of the top 10 are players from Minnesota. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Taj Gibson is 15. Look, and I know. Like, 
It's it's classic I know. unsustainable. And that, look, their starting five. Yeah, and their starting five has played a higher percentage of minutes than almost any other five man unit in the NBA. Wow. And and that is all he's trusting or showing that he trusts. And that's the kind of shit that you do in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. But everyone has to realize that is Tibbs's intensity. Tibbs's intensity from October, not even October. Tibbs's intensity. It's December. That's the other thing. I know, but 365 days a year, Tibbs thinks it is win or die, <laughs> playoff or bust, yeah. win or go home. Yeah. This is the end of my life or end of my job if I yeah. do not win this game. So he does not give a shit about. Uh, resting guys or whatever. He says that he rests them in practice, but is that really the right idea? You know, that's down to debate. Um, look, I know people are giving him shit, but they're fourth in the uh, Western Conference. The Timberwolves are fourth. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that he gets results, but the the chemistry issues... One thing, right? Guys on the end of the bench who get frustrated, who are playing really inconsistent minutes, who are getting stubborn um, and kind of losing faith in the team's direction. Al Crawford, apparently. Right, yes. And that's that's one thing, right? Like, he's not being you used... You forget that Jamal Crawford's on that team. He's not being used the way he ought to be used. He is a weapon... Um, and someone that should provide relief to the scorers on that team, right? He should be taken over yeah. the third quarter here and there, getting guys rest, um, and you know, uh, continue. Or if you go small, yeah. Or if you go small, you plug in Jamal Crawford with the starters, and all his weaknesses can't really hurt your unit, your five-man unit that much. Mm. And I'll, I'll give you a comparison though. Fourth place team in the East at the moment is the Bucks. And the fourth place team in the West is obviously the Timberwolves. Now, both young teams, both up and coming teams, both teams who have had changeovers recently with new players, new stars, even new trades for both teams. And yet everyone is still high and positive on the Bucks, And everyone is now starting to get a little bit sour on the Timberwolves and Tibbs. Mm. And all this is down to is just a little bit of noise out there. Um, that can be created, and sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. But look, if Tibbs is making anyone happy on his team, and it's the starters, okay, cool. They're the most important players. If he's making his best players and his most important players happy or performing well, then that's what's important come the end of the season. And he just rides his luck and hopes they stay fit. And if they do, they have a chance. Speaking of the West and that really intriguing middle pack in the playoffs teams, um, Denver's fifth, and they're missing Paul Millsap and um, Jokic, and they just kind of keep winning. Uh, well, at least they keep winning at home. They have yeah. one of the weirdest splits I've seen from a fifth seed ever. So at home this year... They are 10 oh, Adam, Adam B., I've spent the last three weeks maybe at 8,000 feet, between five and 8,000 feet above sea level. How and I can guarantee you, oh, I can guarantee you, you're breathing as soon as you start doing any kind of strenuous exercise. And I'm not the fi- most finely tuned athlete, especially not after a bit of more than a month in this country. <laughs> but you can tell the difference. 
and you just feel like your breath is a little bit shorter. You feel like it's a little bit harder. You're not quite sure why or what's going on. You just know that you've been told that this is what happens when you get to this level. Yeah. Well, look, I, I get that. And the elevation that Denver plays at has been, you know, cited as a reason for a strong home record forever. I totally get yeah. that. But the logic goes that if you're spending most of your time at that altitude, that's where you're doing your training, your recovery, your conditioning, everything. Then when you do go out on the road and you're going to a lower altitude city, you should that kind of fitness benefit the like the lung capacity you should be better yeah. yeah you should be better so they're 10 and 2 at home and 4 and 9 on the road um so 9 out okay, of so maybe they're losses, just not that good a team well 9 out of their 11 losses have happened on the road which i find really really confusing um but it could be a result I don't think it's of, confusing at all because why yeah, i just i just think they're not as good as their record so i think they're getting those wins at home they're getting that uh, extra advantage at home and they're taking advantage of that and winning games but I don't think they're better than the Trailblazers or the Timberwolves and I think fully fit I don't I don't necessarily think they're better than the Jazz either I think that away from home they're showing that if they're a 4 and 9 team away from home and an undefeated team at home well we see the reason but that means that in most atmospheres and in most places without any advantage, they're actually a crap team. And Where do you see them finishing in the I West? still think... I, st- I see them finishing ninth. Wow. I see, I see the Thunder sorting their shit out. You I see have, the Pelicans you, you, and the Jazz and the have, Trailblazers. You, you have consistently put your faith in the Thunder sorting their shit out. You've not wavered from that. They will sort second. their shit out. They're only, they only three games back of the Timberwolves in fourth. And if they sort their shit out, and Paul George, you absolute stud. He's amazing. Westbrook can do better, and Melo is just absolute trash at the moment. But I think Melo is shooting something like 17 or 18 or 19% from three mm. um, over the last little span. But they will sort their shit out, and I still, I still put them as a chance to finish in the top four in the West. I think that is so wildly ambitious just because of how broken Westbrook looks. Like, they actually have the second best defensive numbers in the league. They're holding teams to about 100 points a game at the moment. That's because of Paul George, by the way. Who is incredible. absolutely amazing. You know, he's, he's leading the league. I think he's leading the league in steals and he's leading the league in deflections. And he's up there in terms of defensive rating as well. And then he's having to guard good players every game. He's, I forgot that this guy was one of the best wings or threes or small forwards in the league. The, the thing I haven't seen out of them is what does an ideal Thunder win look like? So coaches will have their, okay, we were lucky to win that game win or we had to like throw out weird lineups. But in coming in and planning for a game, a coach will have a vision of how his team needs to play to win most games. And I'm yet to, I'm yet to see what their formula is. Everything is so ad hoc. Everything is so freelance. Yeah. Everything feels left up to chance and superstar 
And Westbrook, it's just... I've not seen a drop-off, a season-to-season drop-off from a superstar like I've seen out of him this year. There's something really, really funky about it and something broken about that system that's limiting his Yeah, because... Yeah, Paul George and Mello aren't boxing out to give Westbrook extra rebounds this year. That's what. That's what his teammates were doing. His teammates yeah, yeah, last. Yeah. His teammates last season. I know. I know. I there know. were moments where people caught on camera where they are deliberately not even looking at the basketball, knowing that Westbrook could get his tenth rebound or whatever. I don't um, care that his his look, rebounds I, are down. I care that he. I think they need weird. to play slower. I know. Right. I think they need to play as a keep their defense going, but I think they need to start really embracing the old school, late 2000s or late noughties decade and early 2010s of basketball, where a lot of the good teams played awesome half court defense. If you let them play in transition, they would eat you up in transition and then their other option was really slow, methodical half-court offense that killed the clock, limited the number of possessions per game, and kept it down to a almost a one-on-one talent standpoint. And I don't mean that I don't want them to be boring, but I think that's a good way of going. And I think that's something they should try and do. Or I would, if I was coaching them, I would try and do is. Mm. Slow the pace down. Play good half-court defense. If they let you score in transition, that's all we're going to do. And it goes back to what a lot of people often say and what you often say is that um, the team with the most talented player on the floor is usually going to win the game or the series. And in a lot of games, OKC is going to have the two best players on the floor in George and Westbrook. Some, sometimes the three, yeah, depending on how good you think uh, Stephen Adams is. Yeah. Um, so I, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, the early big three woes of the LeBron heat. Uh, they were sitting around 500 after this point in the season. I think they were 11 and 11. Um, and people were saying things similar to what I'm saying now that the fit's not there. They look broken. Everyone's just trying to get theirs. They're not winning in reliable, predictable ways. And for them, it was a matter of working out how to use Bosch the right way. And it was a matter of LeBron and Wade working out their alpha dog 1A and 1B order. Um, And there was like a process of humility and a process of working out the formula that happened. And it still hadn't kind of come together by the time the playoffs were over. Um, and that allowed Dallas to win the the championship. But once they clicked it and once that Bosch thing happened... Um, they were a different team and a perennial championship threat. So I guess it could happen with Melo has to be, Yeah, Melo has to be that Bosch because we've seen it in the Olympics. When Melo's played with Kobe and LeBron and all the best players in the world, um, Melo, Olympic Melo, uh, not Hoodie Melo or New York Sulking Melo or any other Mellows that we have, but... Olympic mellow is a kind of mellow that the Thunder need. The one who spots up, catch and shoot, and gets a few boards. I feel like one of that big three has had the requisite maturing and like kind of moment of humility um, 
that they require, and that's Paul George. You know, he's, he's playing with a lot of composure. He's deferring when he needs to defer. That's fine. Westbrook and Carmelo need to work out, okay, do I want to play exactly the way I want to play or do I want this team to succeed? Um, and yeah. Westbrook in particular, I mean, his usage is down. You know, his usage is around 33%. And he's still assisting as much as he did. You know, he's, he's, he's leading the league in assists. It's just the manner in which he's directing that offense that just feels off. Yeah, I know. And um, I'm glad that I'm a friend of yours and that you can look past the box score and to see how hollow some of those assists or look, and some of them aren't even called assists. I I have a real problem with uh, the statisticians on the side of the court who call assists when a pass team. is made and that guy, yeah, the home team guy who he sees Westbrook make a pass and eight seconds later and four dribbles later, someone does a post move and scores. Now the guy hasn't assisted him at all. He's, He's done a very simple basketball fundamental of passing him the ball. And that's why guys like Westbrook, who are the recent MVP, will get a little bit of uh, advantageous or, I guess, crap calls from their home court. So, um, yeah, he's not playing well, and Melo's not playing well. Um, most of the other Thunder players actually are. And, yeah, thank like, as God long for as... Stephen Adams. I mean, he's a godsend yeah. to that team. And to me, he's the third best player on that team easily. Yeah. And I made a little joke about him that you didn't get about two or three minutes ago, saying that as long as those three are sometimes yes. the best three on the court, <laughs> yeah. Stephen Mello, Adams instead yeah. of Mello. But, but look, he is. He, he does his job. He's doing his job better than what Mello is at the moment. So, yes, he's actually the third best player on that team at the moment. Let's, um, let's 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 keep that momentum and run right into um, a little review of the season awards, the regular season awards at this point. Um, let's start at the top. Let's start with the MVP. I think that LeBron and Harden are 1A and 1B right now. Giannis MVP watch while well, we're watching a Jason Kidd coached mm. team and... That's always going to make things hard for him. But LeBron looks incredible. Uh, Harden, I'm not sure he's playing better than he did last season. It's just that he's been super-duper consistent. Uh, what do you think? Where are you seeing the MVP race at the moment? I feel like it's going to go to Harden as long as this continues just because it's a make-up. people will feel like... Yeah, to make up for last season yeah, where to make up all for- those absolute... Yeah, all those idiots who thought that getting triple doubles in an era of 120 points plus per game per team, you know, every every game in the NBA is a 200 plus point game almost. Hmm. Um, and to think that him just getting triple doubles because his teammates give him calls and his the stats guys on the side give him bullshit stats, uh, that was a poor way to vote for MVP. But I hope he gets it. I get a small. I get a feeling that if the Cavs keep rolling, Harden's again going to finish second. I think there is some risk of him finishing second because he. It's just not particularly just being that sexy. guy. Yeah. Um, and let me just say, but this was this is 
Yeah, this was KD's problem a little bit as well. Yeah. I look, look. I'm going to be totally blunt and say that if Westbrook averaged 9.5 assists and 8.9 rebounds yep. last season, he wouldn't have won the MVP. It seemed like there was unanimous of like, <laughs> okay, you fucking, you fucking did it. You averaged a triple-double. Like, yes, you've earned this on paper. I if he averaged, he Adam, if he averaged 9.7 and 9.8 rebounds and assists, he still wouldn't have been voted the MVP. I think that's a legitimate claim. I actually, which, is, which I just shows how bullshit it is. Well, there yeah, are enough people are... voting for that award, Adam G. That it's a collective failing. This is not a panel of five. Uh, it was no, a this is a failing. large panel. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I think also there's a case to make that LeBron kind of got stiffed a few MVPs over the past three or four years. Every year, <laughs> every single year. <laughs> Yeah, yep. it's fucking amazing, and he, but he really has stepped up this season. Like his shooting is so so much better, um, and I, I don't know. I've, I'm really impressed with what he's done or whatever he's injected. Do you know himself. what it's? Yeah, can you imagine being in an opposition and watching the best player in the world become that much better at the most dangerous skill in the NBA? Yeah, and he's old as fuck. Like. It's like he's a, already like, the best passer. Yeah. He's already the best passer in the whole league. Now his shooting is in like the top bracket of danger. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? He's so efficient. He's leading the league in minutes played, but he shows no signs of like ever being gassed. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like you could always give you could always give LeBron the MVP, and I don't think anyone would have a legitimate argument to make against him winning the MVP. Um, Giannis, I don't know, unless Giannis kind of goes on a streak of, you know, 40 and 50 point games a la Kobe a decade ago, he he would have to do something really special to leapfrog into these, like over these two superstars doing their thing. The other interesting thing, Adam G, is that with Curry out of the way for a couple of weeks and maybe that rehab lasts a couple of months because they want to be careful and they don't give a shit about the regular season is that Kevin Durant could make a case for himself because he's playing both ends of the floor ridiculously well. And the defense that kind of he solidified at the end of last season has just continued into this season. And it's really good to watch. Yeah, it's possible. It's certainly out there as a possibility. All right, let's go. Um, Let's move on to um, your coach of the year. And I think this is a one-man race still. Who is your man? It's Brad Stevens. I think if you look at, you know, sometimes in in voting for these awards, you look for a bit of a narrative. You look for adversity overcome or a player that's reshaped his game and retooled things. Um, And I think that in part was like the Westbrook effect last year. Like he lost his partner in crime under really like tumultuous circumstances and he went on to average a triple-double and showed that he could do it himself. That's a narrative. With Brad Stevens, you've seen him improving his team's record every year since he became the head coach. Um, they had a really good year, a really good regular season last year, and he's kind of had that pop effect of turning mediocre to slightly above-average players into superstars, a la Isaiah Thomas. Um, and this year, with the adversity of the Hayward injury and losing four out of their five starters, 
to see the continuity in that team and them having the best record in the league. I think that at this point, uh, with a very disappointed Van Gundy behind him, Brad Stevens would be the coach of the year. I agree. And uh, even though I have a small soft spot for uh, appreciating what Mike D'Antoni's done again uh, with the Rockets, Mm. he... Brad Stevens is one of the few good coaches in the league, and I would mark this down now. The first time or the first season that Brad Stevens and the Celtics have a down year or a year where they perform below expectations, which won't be often because he's up against shit coaching. But the first year that it happens, the Celtics are going to stand by him, and he's going to appreciate that, and he's going to grow as a stronger coach from that. And this guy is going to be around for your Celtics for longer than a decade and this guy is going to get close to being one of the most long-term and one of the best coaches in the last 10 or 15 years when we look back at it in about 10 years from now and it's going to be an amazing thing to see a, a young guy doing the same kind of stuff as what you said it was what pop's doing out in the west yeah and look he arrived to like a garbage fire Danny Ainger just cleared everyone out. Yeah. And within 18 months, he had turned Evan Turner into an effective mid-range shooter who could pass every now and then. And he turned Jordan Crawford, who now plays in fucking China, into the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Never forget. So he, to come, like, I think he, he, he was great that he started with that much adversity and it's, it's the ultimate NBA education I think he's had, and he's in a really good position. So, yeah, I think unless the Pistons leapfrog them, he's a pretty sure bet, um, and the Rockets are also looking pretty yeah, good. Yeah, he's, he's a sure bet. He's a sure bet. I'd put my and I think that uh, Yeah, and I think that because of my most improved player, I don't think Stan Van Gundy's close to it. I think uh, Mike D'Antoni and Pop are almost runner-ups uh, behind Brent Stevens because of who my most improved player is. And should I just go ahead? You should go ahead. Uh, Drummond. Andre Drummond. Mm. It, it has to be him. He okay. has single-handedly turned himself into a fourth-quarter laughingstock year after year into the most dominant five-man or center in the league. Him and Boogie. Yeah. Those little handoffs... Um, that Drummond's doing. I mean, that little extra wrinkle he's added to his game. He's hitting his free throws, which make him so much more dangerous. I mean, we joke about this, but it's amazing for them to have him on in the last, or oh, like down the stretch in a quarter and down the stretch in a game. It's a huge difference. And you know, the diff- well, the difference is, is because he gets every rebound. So when, when you can have Andre Drummond on the court for that long, and yet he's allowed to be on the court for that long. The benefit you have is not only that he does he hit his free throws at the end, is that he's also able to get boards from missed shots in key possessions in the fourth quarter. Mm. Yeah, and he can be aggressive on the inside without that classic big man who can't shoot free throws fear of getting fouled. Like, you see this. You see guys who are terrified of going to the line for fear of humiliation looking to pass it out of the paint rather than go in and get up and get contact. You see this all the time. And 
that extra threat gives him an extra move to make when he's in the paint. It makes him a step less predictable. It's like it's yeah, super easy to guard a guy who you know he's not going to pass. Now he's got that extra wrinkle. You, you don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, this guy in, a, in his last three games against three top teams, Spurs, Bucks, and the Warriors, 15, 20, and 17 rebounds. Mm. Not only that, for a career less than one assist per game player, this has jumped up to four assists per game this year. Even in those three games against the Spurs, the Bucks, and the Warriors, he has a combined 12 assists over those three games. Can I tell you a secret? Tell me. Drummond is not my most improved player. Uh. <laughs> my All right, most... go on. Okay. It's going to it's go, it's be a Celtic, isn't it? No. Nah. You're going to say Jalen Brown or Kyrie? No, nah, or... no, nah, nah, I'm not. My most improved player... This is let's just I'm gonna quickly break down his numbers last last season compared to this season so far. So his points have gone from uh twelve and a half to eighteen and a half. So an extra six yeah. points a game. His assists have gone up marginally, his steals have gone up marginally, he's now averaging a block a game. He has improved his three-point percentage from 28% to 40%. He's taking more shots, and his overall field goal percentage is almost at uh, 50%. And he plays for the Orlando Magic, and his name is Aaron Gordon. And if he keeps on doing what he's doing, if he keeps on shooting 40% from three um, and and being so efficient, um, limiting his turnovers... Staying on the court, being really consistent, I think he could win. You think that Victor Oladipo takes votes away from him? I think they do cannibalize each other a little bit, but I know some people are shocked about Oladipo. Um, I think coming from the system he was in and flourishing isn't totally surprising to me. Like these guys are both the kind of like surprise package you see each year and the most improved player voting, but. Aaron Gordon, I just never thought he would be able to shoot consistently well like this. I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I thought he was going to be a bust. Yeah. I thought he was going to be an athletic player, uh, a Michael Beasley or a Jeff Green or someone that was going to bounce around the league for the next 12 years with every single GM thinking, I'm going to be the one to get the best out of him, and to it never happened. 25 points per game and teaching him the yeah. basics of passing and ball movement. Right. And he, he was just going to be a sixth man, but you're right. He's um, is that our top three? Are we missing anyone? Um, Drummond, Oladipo, Gordon. Um, you could make a case for some of the other guys in the Magic, but I believe they're going to regress, like as a team and as individuals as well. Um, no, I don't think. Like you joked about me saying Jalen Brown. Uh, but I think his improvement has been pretty linear. Like, he hasn't taken yeah, okay. a leap in the way these guys have. Like, there's no shock factor that Jalen Brown getting regular minutes on a Eastern Conference number one seed improved. Like, so what? These yeah. guys, <laughs> I mean, to think that, yeah, after watching him in the dunk contest last year, just, um, you know, take a big L and look like a bit of a goof and just a guy who had too much, too much athleticism for his own good. 
Um, I'm really impressed by Gordon. I'm, of course, really impressed by Drummond as well. If there was like a We've Revived Your Corpse Award, maybe you'd give it to Dwight Howard. Like, I thought he was done and buried as an effective yeah, league. That, I don't he think is he can a good win. shout. Yeah, I don't think he can no, win I don't this think he can award. Win. But... No one likes him. No one likes him, so there's no way he's going to win. <laughs> he but... must be such a fucking piece of shit because no one's ever liked him. But it's good to see him playing well again. Well, he's got eight different children in eight different cities. So, I mean... God damn. I mean, do any of those people like him? Do any of those... Mothers of his children like him, or do any of his children like him, or do any fans like him? I mean, no one likes him. So, no, but good on him. He's in the top. He was, yeah. He's in the top five for uh, most improved for sure. Um, there is one other little dark horse in this race, um, and he's leading the league in both offensive and defensive rating. Um, I think he actually also might be leading the league in blocks. Let me quickly check. No, he's not. But Clint Capella is so crucial to what Houston are doing. And he's gone, in a similar way to Gordon, gone from looking like this goofy, tall, um, out-of-control athlete to like as a defensive stalwart, like a reliable fucking yeah. brick wall. And I love that. And a younger version of him who's also kind of rising up these ranks of surprisingly good developing players is Miles Turner in Indiana. Yeah, who had a down year, um, had a few missed games and didn't play a full 82, I don't think. But he was, Miles Turner was big and people were hyping him up two or three years ago. But um, maybe something happened or maybe his body just wasn't right or the coaching wasn't right. But uh, that's a good shout as well. And if, you, if you're getting sentimental and you've watched the past few weeks of the Pacers, you could also say that Lance Stevenson's having like a <laughs> mid-season revival. Like it's, no, let's, let's stop there. Let's just stop that there. Hey, Lance being good is, is one of the funnest storylines in the NBA. Like, I'm always no, ready to Derek pop Rose that being good. Derek Rose being good is one of the, would be one of the funnest things in the NBA for me. No, no, no. Look, so that's what I want. I want yeah, to see that guy. I understand, but let me be clear about Lance. If you imagine he's like got a chart and it's his like level of dickheadness and the his ability to make plays on the floor and like him playing well, he's he hits pit, peak dickhead when he's playing well at his best and when he's playing his worst. So when Lance is affecting a game in, in a big way, positive or negative, it's much-watched television. Seeing him yeah, so be cheeky and blowing in like the bronze ear and shimmying and being a dick is just one of the pure joys in this league. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very fine line for Lance. But, uh, look, he's going to do something silly. Uh, so is JR soon. I think we've been go- going too long in this season. Oh, yeah, and, you know, JR, like... I, sorry to get a little bit off on a tangent, but to see what happens with J.R. Smith and Isaiah Thomas in the next two months, I think will tell you a lot about how the Cavaliers season is going to go. Yeah, definitely. All right, we have one more award, the sixth man. Um, this, to me, is a little bit murkier. Uh, I don't have any leaders. I know you were really, really high um, on... Uh, a center who used to play for the Bucks. 
His name is Greg Rum- Greg Munro. I'm not going to be able to help you there. Greg Munro. Yeah, Greg Munro was actually doing pretty well. Um, so, the issue that we have there is that uh, Greg Munro is no longer no longer at the same team. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, his team didn't like him anymore. Yeah, so I think he's unlikely <laughs> he, to, to win any. Yeah, games. he got traded, and he got traded mid-season. Not only did yeah. his team not like him anymore, he got traded mid-season to a team that no one will watch ever this entire season in the Phoenix Suns. So I was really enjoying what he was doing for the Bucks, and I could pretend to be smart and say that ever since they traded him, the Bucks have slowed down a little bit. Um, but that's bullshit. He's not that good. Um, it's just that... <laughs> just a random it's just a it's a crutch argument you can't just say that because he's now gone their bench is worse and they are a worse team it's just that it happened to be the same time and they were always going to regress a little bit and he hasn't been as good at the suns because he's not surrounded by his good players and he's not that good so who do you see in that six-man role i that the classic you know the classic jamal crawford kind of um punch of scoring guy off the bench. Who's that guy this season? I can't really think of one. You know who the talk has been for the last week? Hey. It's been Dwayne Wade. <laughs> the talk for the last week right. has been Dwayne Wade. And look, Dwayne Wade has himself come out on Cavs.com saying that Kyle Corver uh, deserves sixth man of the year. Right. But... But everyone else is talking about Dwayne Wade, and I guess the only other one that's been talked about around the league is Jordan Clarkson at the Lakers. But we can't give a sixth man of the year award to a team that's six games under five hundred. No, I think that's a bit of a stretch. But you know, Dwayne Wade is scoring more than J.R. Smith this year. His three point percentage is a not terrible thirty six, thirty seven percent, and his defense is outstanding. Which I actually I- really like Wade's defense this year, which is nothing I'd ever hear myself or imagine hearing myself say. Right, right, and just like I, to be honest, I have not seen him play that closely. But the idea of him giving a shit in December is really intriguing. Yeah, um, do you think that Dwayne Wade, if this keeps up, has a, a case ahead of Eric Gordon? Oh fuck, no, no, because. You know, and Eric Gordon, like, Eric Gordon is always going to contribute more He's still more playing well. He's going to contribute more win shares than a Dwayne Wade. Well, who's t- who, and he's who's still more playing to win more than... Team? I think that's pretty close. And I think that's only been uh, heightened because of Chris Ball's missed time. Uh, but I think that Maybe Eric Gordon has a little bit more of a say to that because of who else is on the Cavs. But I think because the way that LeBron's talking about it and pumping up his mate and the way Dwayne Wade is trying to push it away and say no, 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 I think that Eric Gordon has a better shot. And he's still scoring. He's a good chance to score 10 10 or more points every single game. And just like he did against the Lakers last week or about a week ago, he hit 22. And he's just bound to do that. And he's playing more than 25. He's playing almost 30 minutes a game, I think, now. And he's scoring 19 points a game. And 
he's probably going to be the guy to do it, even if he starts a few more games. The other thing is with Wade is that that team's guard lineup is going to get a shake up when Isaiah comes back and starts. Um, and yeah. that, I mean, they're going to go through their own mini thunderous reckoning once Isaiah comes back. And if it could go the way of OKC and there could be a bit of confusion and a bit of jostling for alpha dog status, or it could go the way of Chris Paul coming back where everyone understands their roles and, you know, Paul could be effective in limited minutes um, and contribute right away. So, like I said, I think their next two months are going to be really interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing um, Isaiah fit in there and Wade. I guess, you know, he's going to have to go through another little bit of humbling, right? Because Isaiah is going to be the man. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only other thing to th- I think to talk about now is um, the fact that despite in a season where the Mavs are pretty happy to finish near the bottom and gain a few more draft picks, um, congratulations, you've come up against the Bulls season where we are currently 4-20. and 20. And we are not speeding up. We are not regressing or progressing to the mean. We are 1-9 and nine in our last 10. We are 4-20 and 20 on the season. This is a possible 12-and-under win season for the Bulls. And look out, number one pick. Yeah, I mean, that was... It's so bad. It is so, so so bad. bad. It is so (laughs) bad. They are Not even the Hawks can contend. No. The Hawks cannot contend. The Hawks are still a win ahead of the Bulls, despite having zero players, zero draft picks, and no one left on their team from a couple of years ago. Adam, they are so... So bad. Uh, I hope anyone who's still listening to this podcast an hour in or whatever we are, please do not take this as a go watch the Bulls. It's not even bad enough to be entertaining. No, no. Don't, Never watch don't, them. Don't, don't watch, watch the highlights. No. That's a PSA. We urge you. <laughs> fucking spare yourself. Because I did. What did I throw on the other day? <laughs> but I'm like, all right, like... You know, I will watch almost any NBA game. I'll flick it on for a quarter or whatever. I like to just be in touch with things that are happening around the league. Um, I think I... It wasn't the Bulls-Hornets game, the overtime game. The Bulls did win that one. That's our first win in the last 10, was that overtime game yesterday against the Hornets. We had to win in overtime. No, it was a close game, but you guys lost. I think it might have been against Denver where you lost by a point or against Sacramento, where you also lost by a point. I think it might it was a Sacramento game, because I remember thinking... Yeah, we've lost a lot of games, yeah, remember. But no, but they were close. it was a close game this week. And I remember thinking, this is the worst five-pointer under <laughs> game I've ever watched. Like, there was weirdly no tension. It's like everyone knew what was going to happen. There was no urgency. There was no passion. There was no hope. Fred Hoiberg... <laughs> Looks like he's given up, man. Like, it's something really depressing, deeply depressing about that team. It is. We lost lost three games, a point to the Nuggets, a point to the Kings, and two points to the Pacers, and no one gives a shit. 
There is no suspense or no late game dramatics. No one gives a shit about those Bulls games. Nah, I like Lowry. I like the Finn. I feel bad for the Finn. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lowry Markinen is good, but poor guy. We're gonna have to do a checkup on um, the NBA's worst shooter soon. I um. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to talk about this team. I I feel bad for everyone on that roster. Genuinely, like I think Paul, the... Paul Zipser showed some hope in the playoffs last year. Right. He showed that he could be useful. <laughs> you know, Robert Lopez was dominating that. the one seed last year. This was like three months ago, and then. All of a sudden, it's got caught in this. Like, it's imagine like a pool of tar that's also on fire and that is slowly sinking into it. And there's no hope. <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to watch the Bulls. I'm not even going to bother. I'm going to Chicago. I'm not going anywhere near a Bulls game at all. No risk of going to the United Center. The tickets will no, be cheap. I'm not going. Oh, the tickets will be very cheap. <laughs> All right, all right. right. Well, on that note, don't watch the Bulls. Continue listening to us. Leave us a review. None of this, you know, I'm going to listen and fall asleep to your podcast and I'm too shy to leave a review. We want to know this shit. Let us know. Our ears are open. We'll be back. Adam G, stay warm. It sounds cold in Utah. It is. It is very cold. But this has been lovely, Adam. I've missed your... uh your warm, soothing voice. Uh, It hasn't put me to sleep, but um, it soon will. My man, I hope those beers are cold. Keep enjoying yourself. Take care of yourself. And we'll speak to you soon.